Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Told uh, Tim in April by the third service I might be a puddle, you know, but <laughs> it's so good to see you. Good morning. It is good to see you. I'm glad that you're here. And if you're our guest, we want to welcome you. And we're going to do this. We're going to jump right in. I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles right in the seats in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible in general, you just don't have a Bible, take that blue Bible with you. Because we want you to have the Word of God in your hand, in your home, in your heart. We just want you to have God's Word. Also, you can pull out the bulletin if you haven't already done that on the back. There's a place where you can keep notes. And uh, I'm just so thankful that we get to get, uh, get together like this and just study the Word of God. We're in the second half of the first chapter of James chapter 1. What I want to do this morning is I want to start our study this morning by asking you a, a question. Now, here's the question. What pushes your buttons? I mean, what is that one thing or two things that just, that just gets you hopping? I mean, it just, it's a trigger for you. I mean, it, just, it, 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 it's a, it gets a bad response from you. What is that? Uh, isn't it true that it, we can have really great responses and just a short time later we find ourselves having a bad response, especially if the circumstances that we're in or that we're part of, uh, we don't get what we want, we don't get our way. If things don't line up with our desires, we can see things go south with our attitude quickly. Is there a difference between the good you and the bad you? The good you shows up at church and you look good and you look ready to go. But the bad you has a way of leaking out during the course of the week. What is the response that God has for us? What's he asking us? How is he asking us to respond? You see, just a, a few little things can get a bad response from us. And there might be a few things that you can think of that get a bad response from you. I can tell you what it is for a lot of people. I can tell you what it is for me. How about this? Number one, a horrible night's sleep. I mean, if you get a horrible night's sleep, you're really not good in the morning. You're kind of cranky and it lasts all day long. You're just in a perpetual crankiness, you know, because you didn't get a good night's sleep. My wife tells me, and I, I really don't believe this because I've never witnessed it, but she tells me that I snore. I have never heard myself snore. And so I'm, I'm waiting to hear me snore. Uh, does anyone have that beautiful, cuddly, smells good baby by day, and then all of a sudden something happens at night and they change? They're just different, and that just gets that kind of bad response. Or how about this? How about uh, the extreme frustration that comes when you're behind a driver on the freeway that is absolutely, totally clueless? I mean, it looks like, you know, it looks like they're, they don't have a clue where they're at, and you're, you're behind them, and you know how to tell them to drive, and you're actually telling them how to drive. They can't hear you, but you are telling them how to drive. I mean, those things, oftentimes, those are the things, and they seem little at times, but those are the things that push our buttons. The difference between a great response and a bad response can be a very small bit of temptation in our lives. Last Sunday was a wonderful Sunday, a wonderful weekend. We saw 14 new believers. I mean, come into this family. It's exciting to see what God's doing in people's lives. 
You know, it just, it, it was exciting. I mean, there's God's grace, and he's just pouring his grace out over people's lives. But then in the week, man, it was like a struggle for me. It was, I could barely keep my nose above the water. And so one moment in the week, there's this wonderful outpouring of God's grace. And then the next, it feels like I'm just struggling for my life. Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, it, can, it just seems like those things can change. The difference between a great response and giving in to a horrible response can sometimes be how we respond to temptation. This is the entire idea of the book of James. He is saying there is a bad way to respond, and then there is an authentic way to respond. That's really the essence of the book of James. That's the theme in James. I want you to look at verse 27 in James chapter 1, and I'm going to read it on the overhead with you. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see where it says pure and faultless? If you're able to, uh, circle that and put the phrase authentic best because that's really what James is talking about here. James says the real thing, the authentic thing, the best response is, the best way to overcome temptation is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. Now, some of you are reading that and you're going, wow, I'm not making the connection. What in the world does looking after orphans and widows have to do with responding well when I'm tempted, when I'm going through a time of temptation? What does it have to do with handling emotions and conflict that cause us to make destructive choices in life? Everything. According to James, everything. And what I want to do is I want to break it down and find out what James is getting at. So here it is. Remember the first 12 verses that we went over last weekend. We talked about trials from the outside, dealing with perseverance and endurance, dealing with trials that build endurance and perseverance. Well, this week in verses 13 through 27, it's going to be more about the internal. It's what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind. It's about temptation from the outside, so, or from the inside, excuse me. So why does this matter? Because the truth is, and I want you to hear this, willpower is the weakest form of power on the planet. And there are people that think, they believe somehow that they can get through life on just their willpower. They may get farther than others, but sooner or later, that's tapped out. And we've all experienced that. At one time or another, usually we experience that the very beginning of a year, a new year, when we make resolutions. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to sleep right. I'm going to do all these things. And then halfway through January 2nd, it all falls apart. I mean, we just go, what happened? I mean, what happened? I meant to do the right thing. I mean, my willpower doesn't get me very far. And so willpower is the lowest form of power on the planet. So here's the problem. It's never just about temptation, and I want you to hear this. It's about temptation and relationships. Why? Well, because conflict and relationship always makes temptation worse. When you're misaligned with the people that you love, I mean the people that you really care about, it's harder to say yes to the right things than no to the wrong things. 
Here's what James does. James is just like this great straight-shooting dad. I mean, that's what he is. He's just coming at you. He's coming at you with both barrels. You have to get used to that when you read James. And so you read James, and you know he's talking straight to you. James tells it like it is. He speaks very directly about two ideas that you've got to get these two ideas or none of his counsel really works. Now, here are the two ideas. Number one, fundamental things, first things first. Here it is. The real problem is us. Or you want to make it more personal? The real problem is me. Now, you can say that. Say that. The real problem is me. That was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Some of you aren't totally convinced, but that's all right. The real problem is me. You have to start this whole process understanding how to overcome temptation by confessing, like we just did, that we are the problem, that I am the problem. I had a sign on my mirror for the longest time. I'd walk in and and look at the mirror, and it says, you're looking at the problem. And, And, you know, it just takes time for that. Uh, you know, it takes time for that to sink in. But that's exactly what James talks about in verses 13 through 15. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So why then do we always blame God for things that go wrong? We didn't study for a test. We blame God. Our finances are in a ruin. We blame God. Something's happened. I get angry. I blame God. God has nothing to do with tempting us. God never desires to see you fail. His desire is to see the best for your life. His desire is to see you succeed in a relationship with Him and in the relationships with the people around you. That's His desire for our life. You see that word desire in that passage that we just talked about? This is talking about just all desire in general. Desire, the way that we have been wired. But then it says evil desire. You put that word in front of it and then it's talking about corrupted wants. It means that when you have unchecked needs, that your needs are, are healthy and right when they're balanced and they're submitted to God. Your needs are, 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 are God-given. God has given us certain needs in life, but they go unchecked. If they're not submitted to the principles of God, that's where evil enters in. That's where sin enters in. So I'm going to show you what that looks like. Needs unchecked. Go ahead and throw that up there, the first one. Passion becomes lust. You have been created to be a passionate person. God has wired you that way. He's created you that way. But when they go unchecked, it becomes lust. And then the second one is hunger. You all, we all get hungry. You're hungry right now probably. You're thinking, man, I wish this guy would get over with it so we could get home and eat. But we've just got a few more minutes here. Hunger. We all have been created. We're beings like that. But when hunger becomes unchecked or when it's unchecked, it becomes gluttony. The next. Rest. We all, we all need rest. If you find your, your um, Sabbath rhythm in life, you need rest. But when rest goes unchecked, it becomes sloth. And then there's another one that we look at. Zeal becomes rage. That means you all have zeal. I hope you have zeal. There's things about you that you need to have zeal. But I'll tell you when, when it's unchecked, it's rage. And this last one, probably really the most important, only because it's directly related to James, relationship becomes rivalry. That relationships unchecked become 
they become rivalry in our life. This is the one theme that we find in the book of James. He's talking to a disunified church. They were speaking to and about each other in disrespectful and disunifying ways. What he was doing is he was addressing the most dis, you know, the, the disunifying thing in, in, in our body, and that's the, the power of the tongue. You see him mention that over and over again. And when I read this, it's like, you know, the tongue is, is a, a weapon of mass destruction. I, I can't tell you, I mean, how many people the, the tongue has hurt and how many people we've hurt by our tongue. And so James is dealing with this powerful little instrument. He's talking about that here in this passage of Scripture. In these few verses, in verses 13 through 15, James identifies the cycle of addiction perfectly. This was before psychologists. This was before the experts. But where does it always begin? It begins, number one, with self-deception. That's where it begins. And then then it moves into disobedience. And then where does it go after that? It goes to death. And what we're talking about there really is twofold. When we talk about death, it's not just the death of your soul. Um, There are many of us that know and we've witnessed people who have gone down the path of addiction and it has been the death of their very life. And so James identifies this, this pattern. And we can all get caught up in these kind of cycles. Here's another way to look at it. Um, temptation enters. And then what you do is you want to gratify that temptation. And then there's the humiliation that follows that where you say, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And you know, it's, it's true. I mean, addicts, recovering addicts, after a while, what they say is after a while, the only thing that lasts, the only thing that really lasts is the temptation. The gratification isn't even there anymore. You start chasing it. You don't even get gratified anymore. And there's no more humiliation. You're numb to that. And so what are you doing? It's temptation. It's like hell on earth. It's just, I'm just, all I'm dealing with is temptation. I'm just trying to maintain. So the first idea is the real problem is who? Yeah, the real problem is me. The second idea is what? God does not bait and switch. Please hear this. God is not trying to trick you. He's not trying to play some magic trick on you, some game with you. He's not doing that. He does not manipulate. That is not God. He cannot do it. It is against his nature. It's not part of him. Can I say it any other way for you to get this? God is not out to just get you. He's not trying to, he's not trying to trick you. He doesn't operate that way. Listen to verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from God, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that is created. Now, there are three phrases I want you to look at in these three verses. The first phrase is Father of Heavenly Lights. What does that mean? It simply means this, that God is the author of light. God is light. And so God doesn't only shed His light on your circumstances and your situation. He sheds His light uh, uh, altogether on our hearts. He's created light. He's the author of light. And then there's this. It's... uh, He does not change like shifting shadows. See, the imagery here goes back to an early century, early church, uh, an ancient time where they didn't have electricity, so how did they get light in their house? They lit candles. How many have ever had the power go out in your house and you've had to light candles? I mean, it just changes the ambiance of your house, doesn't it? 
I mean, from bright light and all of a sudden candles are lit and it looks kind of like an Alfred Hitchcock movie in your house. It's a little scary, you know, and you see, whoa, this changes everything. And what James is saying is that candle lit is so vulnerable to the wind and to any breath or anything that comes, any draft. What does it do to shadows? I mean, it's kind of spooky, isn't it? It starts and the shadows look really undefined and they kind of, they shift. James is saying this to us. He's saying that God is not like that. He's not like that. That the God that you love, the God that loves you, the God that you serve, the God that serves you is a God that is stable, that is lasting, and that he's trustworthy. You can count on him. You can count on him. And then he says, and put in the word of truth. Who is he talking about? Remember James, half-brother of Jesus? He's the pastor over the church of Jerusalem. There's a scattering. He's writing these people that are scattered. And what's he talking about? He's talking about He's talking about Jesus, the word of truth. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, And the word became flesh. He's saying, listen, it's the word of truth that we need. It's the word of truth that's keeping Jesus the center of our lives, keeping Jesus the main thing. Now, here's what we're going to do right now, is we're going to pull out three lessons for those who are tempted. How many of you get tempted? All right, that's good. Everyone should have you. If you didn't lift your hand, I'm just assuming you pulled a muscle in your shoulder. You know, I'm just, you know, that's all. That's what I'm doing. So I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. Because when you ask the question, how many get tempted? Everyone gets tempted. If you don't get tempted, you are dead. Because everyone deals with temptation. Everyone deals with temptation. So number one, here it is. Number one, how to handle temptation Slow down and listen. How many know that, man, temptation, you are vulnerable to temptation when you're just rip-snorting through life? I mean, you can't even catch up with your schedule. You can't catch up with your, your relationships. You can't, you're just moving 100 miles an hour through life. I can tell you, if you're doing that right now, you are vulnerable to temptation, to falling into temptation right now. Because James says one of the things that we need to do in order to deal with temptation in life is we need to slow down and listen. That's what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see that that phrase there, human anger? You know what that means? Translated in the Greek, that's indulgent rage. That's what it means. We're taught to get, you know what we're taught in this world? Just go, just go ahead, just get it all out. Just get everything out. Just get your emotions out. Get it out. Not always. Not always. You know, what, what the Bible's saying here is there are times we're just indulgent. And he's speaking of indulgent rage. Some of us are indulgent when we argue with our spouse. We just, we cross the line and it becomes indulgent. Some of us are indulgent when we talk to parents. Just disrespectfully, we just cross the line. And, and, and it's, that's indulgent. 
when we talk to our boss in a way that that, that, that that person never would deserve, or when we talk about a teacher, all these kinds of things. Let me tell you something. Indulgent rage has probably been one of the most devastating things that has ever happened to the modern-day society that we live in, including the church. Indulgent rage has wrecked our marriages, has wrecked families, has wreaked havoc in a church. It is indulgent rage. And James says, stop it! Don't do it. Because indulgent rage messes things up. Don't give in to indulgent emotion. Listen, you can't take back some words. You can't. I've had people, I've sat down with people before, and it's like, man, you're sitting there, and you know they're about to blow, and it's kind of like throwing this emotional hand grenade in the middle of the, the conversation. Boom! And they just go off. And then when they're done, whew, wow, I feel a whole lot better after that. I feel good. You may, but I don't. I got the fallout of that stuff. It's toxic. James says, listen, we've got to steer clear of this kind of thing. James says that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He says, be, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. When I was in Bible college, I had a, a, an apartment with a two-bedroom apartment with, uh, with five guys. Man, I tell you, hygiene was not on the top of the list on that. And it was just not, it was just, I was so glad. Uh, Nat and I were one of the first to get married in our class. I was so glad. Man, I, was, I, I just didn't like it in that place. So it was good to be, someone smelled good. It was clean. It was good for me. Man, good for me. Good for my heart. Good for my heart. And I would show up to school after I got married to Annette when my clothes were clean, pressed, had a lunchbox. I just looked good. I was styling. And those other guys that come that hadn't gotten married yet, man, they looked like they slept overnight in a drawer. I mean, someone folded them up about 10 times. And they're coming, you know, like this, hair. You know, and these guys, we just, you know, we lived in East L.A., East L.A., one of the toughest places in the world. And we lived right across the street from the Queen of Angels Hospital. At one time, the emergency entrance there was the most visited entrance in the nation, right there. And we had a front row seat to this emergency entrance right on the balcony. We couldn't afford a movie. I mean, we're poor college kids, so our movie was Fight Nights, man. We'd sit across, and we'd eat ice cream and watch, you know, the guys get hauled in and watch the, you know, there was some fisticuffs going on. You know, we used to rate it. That was at eight. We liked that. We'd all applaud, you know. Whoa, that was our entertainment. And, you know, there was, there, we, you know, you mix it up. There was one uh, fellow who was, uh, you know, I just really loved, I cared for. But I, I realized that I was just, I was, I was quick to speak and I was slow to listen. And I, I like things a little neat and clean. And, you know, so it just was getting messy. This guy wasn't holding up his end of the deal. And I went to him and I said, listen, buddy, you've got to hold up your end of the deal because this isn't happening. I mean, this is just a mess. This whole place is a mess. And you aren't taking responsibility. I went off on this guy. I just went off. And he says, I know, I know. I, I need to do something about it. I said, how about now? How about now? Do something about it. And, and the guy sat down and, he, and he, he lost it. He just broke down. He started crying. Thank God for another roommate who was a lot smarter and more sensitive than me. He just asked the right question. He looked at this guy and he said, what's going on? Tell us what's happening. You know what he said? He he just said, "I I just found out that my mom and dad are getting a divorce. They've been in ministry for 20 years and and, um, my dad's been unfaithful to my mom and, and he lost it. And I, and I just, I, I sat there and I, list, I, I listened to this and I went, oh my gosh. I've been so quick to speak and I, w- I was slow 
I was slow to listen. What would happen if Christians took this verse seriously? What would happen? I mean, what would happen in our lives, our family? What if we assumed that we didn't have all the answers? What if we assumed that we didn't have all the information? What if we assumed we didn't know everything about everybody? What if we did that? Wow. What if we learned that the secret to overcoming our temptation was to become better listeners? Better listeners with others. Better listeners of God. Remember several weeks ago I talked about the still small voice, the voice of God's Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about here. Listening to the voice of God. Listening to what's going on in other people's lives. What if we did this? And here's the application question. To whom should you listen? Who right now in your life, in your sphere of relationship, who needs you to listen to them? Who needs you to stop judging them? Who needs you to pay attention to them and listen and not have all the answers? Who is it? Who is it? The back of the bulletin, you can write that down. You can say, man, I'm going to be specific. I know who that is. Write their name or names down. Number two is this. Number two, how do we battle temptation? Eliminate pollution and infuse truth. Verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Later on in my teen years, my early 20s, I vowed that as I grew older, I would never, ever, ever own a minivan. Just that was a vow I had, was not going to do it, not going to have a minivan, they're not cool. And then I get married, have a bunch of kids, and guess what I do? I have a minivan. So I'm driving around in a minivan thinking, oh, man, for like years it seemed like I was just lifting kids in and out of car seats. You know, it was just, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was like, you know, playing the Rubik's Cube with kids inside of a car in this box. And, you know, you have to, and you know everything goes on in that car because, you know, when you've got a bunch of kids, you pack them in there, you take off. Oftentimes you don't even have time to eat. So what do you do? You just give them stuff. You know, Annette was really good at giving them good stuff. I wasn't, so we just balanced each other out. And, I, you know, they would have all kinds of things. And, you know, you'd get in that minivan, and after a while, you know, it could smell like a hot dog stand. You'd be, ha, ah, this is like hot dog. But there were times that there was, the smells were not that good. I mean, I, that, you know, listen, when you get a dairy product in your carpet uh, in a minivan, you know, but you don't notice it because up here it stays cold for a while. It was the first warm day in summer. I got into that thing and I opened the door and I went, whoa, there is a funk in there. I mean, there is something that's smelling, that just stinking. And I thought, I got to take care of this. I like I liked my rig clean. So I got in, started getting it clean, bought all those, you know, smelly things you hang from you. And all my car did then is it smelled like, you know, like sour milk and pine salt together. And that's an awful combination. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to clean it up. You're trying to get it clean and you keep working at it. And fortunately, I had a friend who did detailing. And he says, bro, he says, there's no way. There's no way you're going to get that. You know, dairy product is the most difficult thing to get out of those cars. And I said, oh, man. He goes, listen, this is what you do. And he told me what you had to do. That's a thorough process. You have to, you, I mean, you have to, he said, Ron, you're going to have to pull as best you can. You got to take the seats out. You gotta pull up the carpet, you gotta get in there, you gotta clean, you gotta infuse it with some good stuff, and you gotta really go after it. It's gonna take I'm in a big big hunk of your day. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna do that. Oh, that's what I'll do. And I got in there and I cleaned and I cleaned. I took his advice and everything came. Then everything was put back together, get in the car. Ah, that new car 
smell. That's why you all buy cars, new cars, because of the smell. And I went, wow, this really smells different. This smells, this smells clean. So what happens here? We often, we often don't respond well to temptation because there's this low-grade pollution in our life that stinks up everything we do. Just kind of got that funky smell to it. It says, get rid of all moral filth. You know what that word means? In Greek, it means pollution. Just get rid of that pollution. It's so easy to get polluted in our world. And then James says this. He says, humbly accept the word planted deeply grafted in you. Again, he's talking about a relationship with Jesus. He's saying the word deeply grafted in you, Jesus Christ. Get him deep into you. <laughs> Live a life where you understand he's the focus. He's what really makes a difference. He is the truth. He's the way. He's the life. Get Jesus grafted deep into your life. James says, get the truth deeply planted in you. Who's the truth? It's Jesus Christ. It's his word so what does that do well it says here in james it says it saves your bacon it does it says i love it which can save you and he's talking about salvation not just your salvation the first time you receive christ but salvation in your life i need to be saved every day there's that sanctification every day that goes on in my life god i need your help bring your salvation to me bring your saving grace to me i need that It's what I need. Here's the application question. What source of pollution should you remove from your life right now? What is that low-grade funk? What is it? Matt, a couple weeks ago, I knew I was just off. I felt like just something's off. And, you know, there are a lot of temptations we deal with, but I couldn't figure. I was thinking something. There's a low-grade something going on and this is what i realized i realized that when i was with my family you know how you you, you want to fill your time how many know it's today it's so hard we're always looking at something some some electronic equipment and and we all if we're not we just you know we start getting the shakes i've seen you do it it's like where is that where is that and and i realized that's what it was you know how i was satisfying the shakes i was getting the ipad out and i was just oh no Oh, you know what was happening? I was cutting myself off from the people that I loved the most. I was muting their voices, which are the most important voices in my life. And I was looking at a stinking iPad. Why? Because I just needed to be gratified. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I know some people just in the last couple of days tried to get a hold of me on my iPad. And I was not available. Uh, I, I needed to put the thing down. And I needed to recognize that I needed to deal with this low-grade pollution in my life. Man, it's killing me. And I needed to put it down. What is it in your life? What do you got to do? Bonus question. Are you in a life group? Are you with other people that can help you do this? Because I can tell you right now, I can tell you by experience, you cannot be a solo sapien and make it. Cannot. Don't care what you say. And if you think you can, you are deceiving yourself. That's exactly what James tells us here. So here it is, number three, connect understanding and application. Listen to what Jesus, uh, James says Excuse me, in verses 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word does not do what it says. Is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself or herself in a mirror goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But 
Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives liberty and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. How many know communication is difficult? Understanding is even sometimes more difficult. I mean, it's not. Communicating and understanding is probably the greatest challenge we have in relationship. And it is a challenge. Man, I have a wife that just can think about 10 different directions. She, I mean, I could ask her what's going on here in three weeks and where are we going and what's happening. She's my, like my, my GPS, you know. And there's times, man, she'll just tell me 15 minutes later, I forget the details. I'm like an idiot. And I say, well, what was that again? She goes, Ron, it was real. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll remember it. I will. I'll try my best to remember that. And I forget. You know, I forget. And she, she's got, and listen, we could, her and I could have conversations at 8 in the morning. We could be carrying this conversation, and then we both go our different ways. We come back at 5 in the afternoon. She has this uncanny ability to pick up the conversation where it left off 10 hours ago. And I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Where are we? Where are we? Where is it? What? Who? Who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? You know, guys, I've seen that panic look in your face. It's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going on, and I need to know what's going on. Hurry, 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 hurry. This is where it is good to know. Be slow to speak because you are dumber than a post. So just be slow to speak. Just catch up. Catch up. And finally, I can catch up. I ask for a few clues, and I catch up. I mean, that's how hard it is sometimes to communicate. It's hard to understand. And what is James saying? James is telling us this is more than just head knowledge. This is more than just your intellect. If you think that you can get through life based on your intellect, you are deceiving yourself. James is saying that if you look at yourself in a mirror and you walk away and you forget it, he, he, this is it. Boy, this is deep. You have forgotten who you are in your very nature. He's not talking about your cosmetics. He's not talking about remembering where your hair was. He's talking about your very soul. He's talking about the way God has created you. That when you look into the law of liberty and you walk away and forget it, you have disconnected from who God has made you to be and the purpose that he's called you to. You have spiritual amnesia. That's who he's talking to. That's what he's talking about. Because God has given you purpose in life. It's a refusal to know who God has made you to be and then living it and applying that to your life. You are created in God's image for God's purposes and that means being a doer of His Word. That means you need to be living out His Word, applying His Word. I mean, I don't know how many have ever done this. I've done this before. I haven't done it a lot, but you know, every now and again, I think, you know what? I'm just going to take three days and I'm going to veg out. I mean, I've got the time. I'm going to do this, you know. I'm going to do this. Seinfeld fans, it's the summer of George. So it's like, I'm going to take the summer of George kind of approach here. And I'm just not going to do it. It's going to be all about me. All about me. And you know what I do? Man, I get into that. I sit down, you know, on a table, eat some Oreo cookies, watch a Dodger game, do all that kind of stuff. And you know, by about the second, third day, I'm just feeling awful. I'm going, bleh. I just feel like a blob. Have you ever done that before? You know why? You know why you feel that way? Because you weren't created to live like that. You've been, you've been created to give God glory and in the acts of righteousness. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, when you live like that, if you're not a doer, you're just going to feel blue about yourself all the time. Application question. What will you do now? What is it you'll do now? What are the steps that you'll take right now? What is it? 
How, how will you connect your understanding and then begin to apply that? Listen, there are a lot of places that need you. There are places here. There are places out in the community. There are a lot of places that need you. Our nursery needs you. Our volunteer ministry needs you. Our parking lot ministry needs you. Our, our uh, elementary age kids need you. Our junior high 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 kids need you. You get the point? Most vulnerable on the planet right there. They need you. People need you. They need you to be a doer of God's word. And here it is, final thought. Final thought is this. Everything that I've said has led up to these two verses. Everything I've said has led up to these two verses. Here's how you overcome temptation. Less rhetoric, more rescues. Less talk, more truth and action. Less verbiage and more verbs. Listen to what it says in verses 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious. Now, I would imagine we would be susceptible to that because we're in church. So themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue. Deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So what is religion? What is, what is good religion? What is it? Religion is this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, authentic is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Hmm. To look after orphans and widows. What did it mean in the Near East during the time that James lived when you lost your parents? What did that mean? I mean, if you lost your parents back then, there was no foster care. There was no state pickup. There was no social security system. There was none of that. Listen, when you lost your parents back then, you were an orphan. In the most abject, literal terms, you were an orphan. And what if you were a wife that lost your husband? There's no social security. There's no life insurance policies. I mean, what, what, is that, what, what does that look like? And so James is addressing something here that gets to the heart. And believe me, there, there are folks that need our help today as well. There's no safety net back there. There was no welfare. What you did need is you needed someone to rescue you. If you were an orphan, you needed to be rescued. If you were a widow, you needed to be rescued. Hmm. James is talking about the most vulnerable people in the world. That's what he was talking about. And there are vulnerable people in the world today, too. Just go ahead, talk to some of our police officers. Talk to Tim and April Lesher. Talk to some of our counselors. Talk to social Workers, talk to some of those that are involved in our recovery programs. There are vulnerable people out there. There are. So how did they do this during the time of the early church? Where do you send them? Where do you defer them? Like we do today, it's, oh, well, go check in here. Here's their number. Take their number. Here, I'll give you a number. I know where you can go. It never comes back to you. It's always deferring away. You know what they had to do then? This was radical hospitality. They needed to open their doors and say, hey, you're coming into our house, you're eating our food, you're sleeping in our bed. This is where it's at. That's how it got done. This is radical hospitality. And I got to tell you something. This is on the front burner of my heart today because, folks, in order to touch a world that needs Jesus, you are going to have to change the way you live and you are going to have to become radically hospitable to those around you because that's what breaks walls down. It's hospitality. But we've got this little, I only heard three amens. That should be everybody. Thank you for the three. I appreciate that. 
It is. It's radical hospitality. I know I'm shocking you. But you look all through. How was God hospitable to us at the beginning of our time as humans? He created this wonderful garden. And he says, I want you to have everything you need. I'm going to be so hospitable to you. We messed it up. And what he's saying is, I want you to come back. I want you to be hospitable. I want you to take care of people. Here's what it is. What we need to do is open our homes, open our hearts, open our lives. They invited the most vulnerable into their space, their lives. What does James say here? He's saying, would you guys quit talking about them? I mean, quit trying to get into the theology of this. That was pretty prevalent in the day. Remember the blind boy who got, he says, all I know is you guys can talk about theology, but I was blind and now I can see. Because they were talking about the religion of it all. And that's what we, well, how did they get poor? Huh. Must be sin. James says, who cares? Who cares? You can have all your theology, all your philosophy, and by the way, you're probably not always right. And he said, forget all that. And he's saying, stop talking about them with your mouth and open up your heart. That's something pretty radical happened to me a couple of months ago. It just surprised me. Annette and I were at a wedding. It was, one, it was a day like today. It was really hot. And after the wedding, it was about 5.30. We needed to make our way to Seattle, about a three, three-and-a-half-hour drive, four-hour drive in the traffic. And so I'm in the traffic, and I'm driving. It's the end of the day. And all I can think about is this. I need to get in the shower. I need to get to that hotel, shower, and see my grandkids, and the next day go to a Mariner game. That's all I was thinking about. I'm just thinking, i got to get there. i got to get there. i got to shower. i got to be with my grandkids. I want to go to a Mariner game. And I'm just driving, and that's the way I'm doing it. And a couple times, and I say, hey, slow down, slow down. Take a shower. I got to take a shower. You know? And so, woof, we're flying up I-5. We pull in the hotel, park under the, the, the covering, and Annette goes in to check us in, and she walks in. Glass doors open. Glass doors closed. She gets in, and I see her checking us in. I could see everything that was going on. And then I look back, and I noticed there was this lady who was irate. Her hands were going like this, and I... Um, I uh, I know, I, I played baseball, so I know cuss words really well. I could read lips, because I knew when people were cussing at me from the other dugout, I'd look at them, and I could read lips, and she was letting it fly, man. She was flying. And I looked at her, and I said, whoa. My daughter was in the car, and I said, that lady is losing it. That lady has lost it. She's lost it. My wife turns around, looks at her, and starts to talk, and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. Need to take a shower, 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 need to take a shower. She starts talking to her, and all of a sudden those glass doors open, and she's walking to our car with her, and I'm going, no, 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 no. Need to take a shower, need to take a shower, need to take a shower, need to take a shower. And the door opens, and she gets in my car. The door closes, and everything changed. When she came out of behind the glass doors and got into my space, and I heard her story, it all changed. Because it's easy to make comments and, and, and have ideas about people who are behind the glass door on the other side. But when the doors open and they get in your space, when you invite them into your space, it changes everything. Because what we found out is she had some minor children that were getting off the plane. She needed to be there to greet them or they wouldn't turn them over and, and the shuttle wasn't running and she lost it. She just panicked. And we took her for a ride to the airport. But I'm going to tell you something, my, my, whole, my whole perspective on that woman changed when she sat in my car and that door closed and we were there together. 
Why does this work in temptation? Why does taking care of orphans and widows work? Well, it's real easy. Real easy. When you're truly beginning to care about those who are vulnerable, (laughs) you don't have time to care about your temptations. What James is doing is he's giving you an antidote to temptation in your life because temptation is very self-centered. It's about gratifying me. And when you're helping someone else, orphans, widows, the most vulnerable, it takes you out of yourself where you really help. We are one of the most self-absorbed societies on the planet. And I think one of the reasons is, is we've deferred some of the most vulnerable to other places and we haven't let them into our space. Our glass door hasn't opened. We haven't invited them in. And God's saying this is precisely what you need to do is you need to open the glass door of your heart and you need to invite people in. Inviting people in wherever you cross their path, whether it's at a hotel, whether it's in a grocery store. What does your countenance say? Does your countenance say, get away from me? Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Or are you looking down at... Down the sh- you're looking at, always looking down. What, what happens here is God's saying, look up. Look up and see the people around you and open your heart, invite them in. Jesus had a way about himself. And I'm going to finish. He had a way about himself. He invited everyone into his life. He would go places. He was inviting people, his very countenance. How else do you explain a woman in that day who was never supposed to touch a man reached out and touched the hem of his garment? Why did she do that? She did it because he invited people into his life. She knew there was an open invitation. Come, and whoever comes, let him be blessed. Are we living life like that? Do you live life here like that? Have you pulled back the glass doors? Do you sit in the same place? And you want to just stay in your little right here and don't let... You're getting too close. That's called a glass door. Open that up and just let what will happen, happen. Let them come. What would happen if all of us opened the glass barriers around our own hearts and invited people in? Giving into temptation is about gratifying self. Giving your life for others is about pure and undefiled religion, authentic religion. It counteracts being polluted by the world and not giving into it. This is powerful. This is powerful. You know, my friends in recovery have part of their spiritual health is it's built into the system. You help others. You help others. I I would love, it's in the Bible, but I don't know if it's in our DNA, if it's grafted into the body of Christ altogether. Please, let's get this. You know what I think James is implying here? That's subtle. I think this is what he's saying too. You think that the vulnerable need you? I think what he's saying is, no, you need the vulnerable. Because that's what keeps you humble, and that's what keeps you living an authentic faith. We need the vulnerable. Open the glass doors, invite them in, and watch God work in your life. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. Father, we just want to thank you for... You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff 
along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. 